And take your Bibles and go to Nehemiah. We're getting close to finishing up the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go through two chapters of it today. Nehemiah can be a difficult book to preach through because it's giving, there's a lot of genealogies in it. And we're going to see some of that in this passage. And, uh, but they're there for a reason. Remember, the genealogies were in the Old Testament, not just for filler. They're there for a reason. They are there to prove the promises of God. And also, there were things under the law, uh, especially concerning the Levites, where uh, there were things that were to remain within a line. And there were even promises given within that line. And there was promises given in the line of Judah that eventually ended up with being fulfilled through Christ. So they're all there for a reason. We don't ever want to forget that. And we always want to remind people of that too, who try to act like genealogies matter today, even though we've been told not to give heed to endless genealogies. And we understand they were there for a time because there were certain promises that God had made that were very specific. And so these genealogies were proof of the fulfillment of those promises. Since those promises have been fulfilled, we no longer need to pay attention to any of that stuff. And that is, and I'm not talking about this today, but that is one of the reasons we know what people are teaching about the 144,000 today is a bunch of baloney. There is absolutely no way, biblically, that you can make the 144,000, 12,000 know, descendants of each of the 12 tribes. There's literally no way on earth to prove that. Absolutely none. And so that is, that's all, that's a horrible interpretation that contradicts everything in the Bible. We're not talking about that today. But everything, uh, when it comes to the legitimate promises, there's proof. And so these things were there. And so in the previous chapter, remember, Israel made a covenant with God and the Levites sealed unto it, it says in that chapter. And so in this chapter, it's given the names of the Levites who had sealed to this covenant. And so it says in verse 1, Now those that were sealed were Nehemiah, the Tershatha, the son of Hachaliah, and Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Melchijah, Hattus, Shebaniah, Malak, Hera, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Barak, Meshulam, Abijah, Mejamin, Maziah, Bilgai, Shimeiah. These were the priests. And the Levites, both Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, the son of Hadad, and Cadmiel. So keep this in mind too. So you had, you had your priests and Levites. You had the high priest was always supposed to be in that line of Aaron, direct descendants. So you did, you kind of had your priests who were all Levites, but then you had Levites who were just from that tribe. They weren't necessarily direct descendants of Aaron or from his family, but they were also servants in the things of the house of God. And I want you to keep these things in mind. I want to use these chapters to try to put an image in your mind that is very foreign to us as American Christians. But I think if we have this image in our mind, it will help us understand life in the Old Testament and also how, what was wrong when Jesus came to Jerusalem, the holy city. And, I, and that means something too. When, when Jesus came to the holy city, why he was so upset with what he found. And, and I want to point this out too, because in reality, people still refer to Jerusalem as the holy city. And that's actually very unbiblical 
or they'll refer to the land of Israel as the Holy Land. And it's just like, it's not very holy. The city is for sure not holy. It is full of abominations right now. But let's keep reading. So we're at the Levites and the brethren, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Kaleida, Peleiah, Hanan, Micha, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zachar, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Bani, Nainu, the chief of the people, Perash, Pehath, Moab, Elam, Zathu, Bani, Bunai, Asgad, Bibai, Adnijah, Bigvai, Aden, Ater, Hizkaijah, Azur, Hodijah, Hashem, Bizai, Hereph, Anathoth, Nibai, Megpiash, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshezabel, Zadak, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashab, Halohesh, Peliha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Messiah, and Ahijah, and Hanan, and Anan, and Malak, and Haram, and Bana. Those are tough names right there. You know, many times when my wife, when we've been, uh, you know, getting ready to have kids and picking out names, she'll pick out a name that I think is terrible. And then she'll be like, that's a Bible name. And I would, my response would always be, so is Mahershal Hashbanaz. So, like, doesn't mean it's a good name just because it's in, just because it's in the Bible. So, uh, this chapter, you know, when I read chapters like this, it reminds me of that. So anyway, this sealing that they did, this was, this was public, it was a public separating of themselves that they did. The priests were to be a separated people. They were a very special people, even amongst the special people of Israel. And so, verse 28, and it says, and the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, his judgments and his statutes. So notice this curse or oath. This is a, they, they, there's this curse that they put on themselves if you don't follow the law. Okay? And there was. The law actually put a curse on the people if they didn't follow the law. But this is why Jesus had to become a curse for us because we all broke the law. But I, I want you to notice because another thing, again, that's foreign to us. All right? So for example, um, in the Catholic Church, okay, one of the problems with the, the Catholics the Catholics believe in a form of replacement theology. The problem with the Catholics is that they have held on to way too many things that uh, of the old covenant, you could say, that they were not supposed to hold on to. Unfortunately, there are, there are some things that they have replaced that they shouldn't have or that they didn't replace. So, for example, the priests. Okay, We have the priests in the Catholic Church who are perceived as these holy men? They walk around in their priestly garments, and uh, and you know, and there's even some similarities sometimes to what you see from like you know, you got the Pope that wears his little you know yarmulke type thing. There's a, there are a lot of similarities to what you see going on with the Babylonian Talmudic Jews, which was a perversion of the true Judaism. There, there's a lot of similarities, but you have your holy men, you have your priests, you have your monks. For the women, you have your nuns. And they are perceived as these holy people that no one expects to see them doing certain things. I mean, how many of you have ever seen like just videos of people, of nuns playing ping pong? And it's just weird because it's like, you know, they're nuns. We expect them to be praying all the time, right? And that's kind of how they portray themselves. That's how, and, 
And so in the Catholic world too, they have these gigantic churches and, and temples and uh, built, you know, these very religious looking buildings that they have built. And they have created a very, for lack of a better term, a spiritual environment. I mean, I've never been there, but if you were to go to places like Vatican City, you know, these are very religious looking places. It's a very religious looking city with beautiful buildings. And obviously, too, it would be, you know, it's kind of impressive seeing the people all decked out in their fancy robes and things. And even in Israel, okay, I'm not, I've not been to Vatican City, but even in Jerusalem, when you go into a lot of the different places, it is, it's kind of a, you do get this very sacred religious feel. Okay, some of it's creepy. Okay? For example, um, I went into the tomb of Mary, and you want to talk about a religious looking place. You, you walk down the, it's these, these big steps, and there's just these hanging, things everywhere. I don't even know what you call them or what they are. But I mean, this place is decked out in religious looking stuff. We went down there and there were these priests down there. And this was like in a weekday, just in the morning. And they're down there, they're chanting and singing these things in Latin and stuff. I mean, there's all this fancy religious stuff going on. And so, you know, you and I, when we see those things, you know, we're, we're very off-put by it because we understand, one, uh, the truth about those things have been revealed to us, I guess we should say. But understand, a lot of that stuff that they did, they're doing, and I noticed this when I was over in Israel, it did in many ways resemble what I read from the Old Testament. But the, So the thing is, I don't doubt there were probably some similarities that you could say that I believe to a certain extent they were supposed to follow. I think these things, those things got corrupted. I, and, you know, but again, it's hard for us to not see those things the way God sees them because he's revealed those things. I think it was Wednesday. I was talking about how I refer to the passages where God said, you know, I'm sick of your offerings. They're an abomination to me. So we get that now. We are not impressed by religious ritual. Do you understand that? We're not impressed by that and we shouldn't be impressed by that we understand it's the heart of things we're not impressed by these priests who go around in their fancy robes and all these types of things because we understand you know it's the hidden man of the heart and you can deck yourself out and all that stuff but within you can be full of dead men's bones and that's exactly how we see those priests because of the lies that they spread but understand back before this time these things have not been revealed yet these things have not been revealed. Jesus Christ has not been made manifest to the world. You know, so all they really had was the law. And it is, it's hard to put our minds in their mindset back then. But if you do, one of the things that, you know, I can see, you know, I can imagine it being a pretty impressive looking thing, going to Jerusalem back then, seeing the beautiful temple that they had, Seeing the holy city all dedicated to things with the, with the priests doing their works, with the sacrifices going on. I could see that being a pretty overwhelming and impressive thing to see. We see the Queen of Sheba was very impressed with what she saw. But this city, uh, and, and the Levites especially, okay, while we understand they did a really bad job, understand what they were supposed to do 
and what they attempted to do, what they even pretended to do, I think in this situation too, what they genuinely wanted to do would have been very impressive to a lot of people. Look how holy these people are. Look at how they dress. They were supposed to be this example of holiness. They were to teach God's people the difference between the holy and profane. They were to cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. They, you know, they, there were certain things that they were just to completely separate themselves from. And so just like, you know, there is, there's a part of us that's, even though we know it's wrong, is, you know, would you admit there's something a little impressive about like monks and things, just some of the things they just completely separate themselves from? Oh, I think they're all perverts. Well, they probably are, but you know, on the outside, some of the things look pretty impressive. I was at a, a airport one time and there was a bunch of monks all decked out in their robes and everything from somewhere uh, in Asia. They were like walking through the airport. And I remember I told my boys, I was like, it's like those guys are probably all like ninjas and could probably kill everybody in this airport. You know, just, <laughs> I was like, you know, I, that, that's just kind of what I pictured in my head. But, uh, you know, I said, I know it sounds weird hearing me say anything positive about the looks of that. But that understand, that's because what's been revealed to us. Back when these things were not revealed, I can see why they were impressive in many ways. And so I'm, I, I want to kind of get a picture in your mind. But let, let's read a little bit more because this is interesting. And so verse 30, or where did I leave off? Uh, yeah, verse 30. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. This was a law Israel constantly broke throughout their history. And it says, And the people of the land bring where or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year of the exaction of every debt. So notice that. They're making this vow not to sell things on the Sabbath day. The Sabbaths were also something that they had forgotten throughout their history. And we talked about that in earlier chapters, even the Sabbath year. They're, this is Israel trying... Remember, they're trying to get everything right. That's what we're seeing in Nehemiah. They're doing their best attempt at a real revival. They're doing everything they can to conjure one up. And it says, And we made also ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread and for the continual meat offering and for the continual burnt offering, of the Sabbath, of the new moon, for the set feast, and for the holy things, and for the sin offerings, to make an atonement for Israel, and for all the work of the house of our God. And we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people, for the wood offering to bring it unto the house of our God, after the house of our fathers, at times appointed, year by year, to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law, and to bring the first fruits of our ground, and the first fruits of all the fruit of the trees, year by year, unto the house of the Lord. Also the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstlings of our herds and of our flocks, to bring to the house of our God, unto the priests that minister in the house of our God, and that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and of our offerings, and the fruit of all manner of trees, of wine and of oil, unto the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage. And the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites, when the Levites take tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers, into the treasure house. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, and of the oil unto the chambers where all the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers. And we will not forsake the house of our God. And this is significant too because this was something they were commanded not to do. And what it meant not forgetting the house of God 
It was in reference to you make sure you take care of the things that it, you know, it's physical needs financially. They were commanded in the law to never forget the Levites. What that specifically meant is you take care of their needs. What these people are doing for you spiritually is very important. And they were supposed to always bring their tithes and offerings so the priests could do the work of, of the priesthood on behalf of the people of Israel. So understand what we had here during this time. Like today, we're used to local churches, right? And in our local churches, things are a lot more informal. In fact, we are all priests according to God. We, as Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We are all supposed to participate in the work of the Lord. And then a lot of the works you know, have already been done by Jesus Christ. Anything involving a sacrifice, done. Jesus finished it. You know, the, the work, the daily work that we need as individuals from a high priest, we can take care of it between us and Jesus Christ, our high priest. We don't have to go to priests. So there's so much less physical work to do than there was during this time. But understand, all those things that God instituted under that old covenant, they were to be following. And so this would be a really big deal. Now, we're not going to take time to read through all of chapter 11. It's a lot more names and things. But I do want to, I want, to, I want you to notice verse 18. We might go back through some of this. But it says, because it goes and it gives a bunch more names. But then I, here's what I want you to notice and what, what I want you to keep in mind. All the Levites in the holy city were 200 fourscore and four. All right. So all, all of it's in the Holy Spirit were 200, four score and, and four. So, I mean, there was, there was a lot of priests. There was a lot of Levites. There were thousands of, of Levites. Um, you know, you had moreover all the porters of Alcub and, um, Akab and Talman, their brethren that kept the gates were 172. The residue of Israel and all the priests and Levites from all the city of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. And if just go through this chapter sometime, we're not going to take the time to do it right now, and just read all these people and see how many there were. And you realize this was a massive work, which would require massive offerings. So, uh, you know, the some things about Jerusalem during that time. Jerusalem was a special set-apart city, unlike the other ones, that was mainly, exclusively, for religious things. Now, within Jerusalem, you had the City of David area, which is where the temple was. You know, and then you had other areas that were kind of connected, you know, where you had Solomon's palace and things like that that he had built. But that, that temple area was something that was walled off. And there were, and, uh, when you, and you could go into certain parts and you had like a women's court, you know, you had, uh, the men's court. There were these different places that any of the Jews could go, but then you had certain places only the Levites could go into. And then you had the actual temple itself. You know, you, and then you had the main priests that would go in and do the offering in that main part of it. But then you had the Holy of Holies that only the high priest went into. So there's all these kind of different levels to it. There was so much to the temple, more than just the you know, building that we normally pay attention to. So think about this. If back then, if you were able to go and visit Jerusalem, you would be visiting a city that had temple activity going on 
every day. And in reality, that's what's interesting too, if you go to Jerusalem today. Today, if you go to Jerusalem, now again, none of this stuff is right. All of it is an abomination. Okay? And, and in reality, in reality, even the stuff they were doing kind of according to the law, it was technically an abomination to God. He said that because these things weren't, they weren't doing these things right from the heart. But you have wailing wall activity going on every day. All kinds of religious stuff happening there. Now, it's a bigger deal on the Sabbath day. If you, if you go to the wailing wall, pretty much any time of the day, there's Jews there praying, Zionist American Christians there praying. Okay? But then on the Sabbath, it's just, I mean, it's crazy how many people are there. I mean, there's a lot that, that are there. You go into the Christian quarters, you have churches all over the place where priests every day at different times of the day are doing different religious rituals and things. And people are coming there and they're doing all their thing. It, you know, in the Jewish quarters, you have synagogues there where you have different things and activities going on. In the Muslim quarters, you have the every day things going on up on the Temple Mount and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, things around the Dome of the Rock. There is constant religious activity going on in Jerusalem because it is, it's a very religious city, you know, full of three different religions. You know, Christian, Judaism, and, and when, I, when I say Christian, I'm using that in the loosest possible term that there is. But all those things are going on every day. And so it does. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to observe, but there is kind of a, especially when you're in certain areas and certain places, there is, it's kind of a sacred, there's a sacred feel to it, which is what God wanted for that city back then originally. God wanted that sacred feel to it. And there was every day you could go by and you would see smoke coming from the temple. You would see smoke coming from the altar that was outside the temple where they were offering sacrifices. The priests had daily offerings and things they were supposed to do. Individuals would come every day you know, to these temples to do different religious things, to do purifying things, to offer up different trespass offerings and to give their offerings and things. You had that kind of thing going on all the time. Do you realize how many priests you would have to have to take care of all those things if everybody in Israel is coming and bringing their son on the eighth day to be circumcised and bringing their offerings that go with that? I mean, it, the, the activity, the religious activity that would have went on that time would have been, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to think about. But it, it would have been at the same time something that was meant to always keep people thinking about God. And it is, it's, it's kind of neat to think about what it had been like. So there were daily sacrifices. You had, you had the weekly assemblies. So, you know, if you went on like a Monday or Tuesday, there's going to be stuff going on, but not as much. But then you go there on the Sabbath. That's when nobody's allowed to sell anything. Nobody's allowed to be working the fields. So that's when they would have the bigger assemblies. You had your different feast days throughout the year where uh, you know, they had certain practices and things they would do. And it's like that even today. There's some days that you do not want to go to Jerusalem. I watched a video about uh, these people. They were wanting to do a video about some location. I forgot what it was. And they were like, we made the mistake of going on one of these Jewish holidays. And it was just crazy, crazy how many people were there. And so, but this city, it was to be centered around the things of God. And so while the city of Jerusalem... And the temple area was especially like this. You know, 
Every Sabbath day was to be sacred all over Israel. It should have been a notable thing if somebody's traveling through that all of a sudden, on Sabbath, things are different around here. Everything's shut down. Nobody's doing anything. There's little activity going on. You know, they, uh, you know, cause think, we don't, we just don't have anything like this today. The closest thing we have to anything that is nationally sacred, you could say is maybe Christmas. I, I love the feel of Christmas when like everything is closed. It's kind of nice. It kind of gives a calming feeling. You know, Thanksgiving now, most stuff's closed on Thanksgiving now. But wouldn't it be nice just to have a day a year where everything is closed? You know, we're, we're, we, we don't have much like that. But it, it used to be that. You know, the, the other closest thing we ever have to just that feeling of unity within a community is literally probably national anthems at ball games. One moment where everyone stops and does the same thing, and, you know, typically you feel like there's agreement. Of course, you know, now we have all the blue hairs and the, you know, libtards and everything that got to make a show of themselves and, you know, put a, put a knee down and all that kind of stuff. But either way, it's nice to have something as an entire people. And that's how it was supposed to be in Israel. The Sabbaths, the feast, these things were supposed to be God's and everyone was supposed to be following these things. Everyone was supposed to be participating in these sacrifices and all these different things. And so the priests were a huge part of it. And all these things, with everyone doing it, would have been a great testimony to anyone coming through Jerusalem. It would have caused people to, you know, it was meant to point people to God. And so what we're seeing here throughout the book of Nehemiah, when it's given all these names and when it's given all the talking about all these things that they did, this was Israel making, I believe in their hearts, their very best attempt to start doing things according to the law. I believe what the law put out, had it been done properly, even though you and I, it's been revealed, it was never going to happen. God knew it was never going to happen, but God gave it to him anyway because God gave them that law because it was holy. It was just. But God, even though God knew they were never going to keep it, God gave it to them to teach them about His holiness so they would understand their need for a Savior when He finally came. That, that was the whole point of God giving them these laws. So again, the law, if fulfilled like it's supposed to, or if performed like it was supposed to, it would have been a... Very beautiful thing. Uh, one of the things that it's, it mentions in these chapters too, there was a great number of singers. One of the things that more than likely, and there's plenty of evidence of this in the Bible, anytime you would have gone to the temple, you're probably going to hear music going on. You're going to hear instruments being played. You're going to hear singers singing. I mean, that, that'd be pretty cool. You know, we're lucky today in churches to get you know people to show up for choir practice once a week for an hour. I mean, these people, though, they literally devoted their lives. Okay? Now, understand, our Baptist church choirs, it's all volunteer. These people, though, that was, their, that was their job. That was their life. It was to be devoted. And so I'm guessing, I'd like to think that the singing was probably pretty good. I'd like to, you know, I would love, if I could be tel- transported back into time, I'd like to hear what the music service sounded like in these places. I'll bet it was pretty impressive. I'll bet it wasn't this kind of junk we're hearing in churches today. But, you know, but, but either way, this would have been a beautiful thing had they followed it 
But again, the big question that we already know the answer to, what, you know, did Israel follow through on all these things? And they absolutely did not. And I believe this is a great picture too of all the people. There are people every day. There are going to be, there will, there will be thousands of people today in churches, many of them in Baptist churches, who are going to hear a preacher get up and talk about the importance of repenting of all your sins so you can actually be saved. And they are going to the best of their ability. They are going to come to the altar and they are going to shed genuine tears and they are going to commit to not sinning anymore. And you know what? what's going to happen to all of them? Failure. Every one of them are going to fail. That's what always happens. And Israel, folks... I don't know what more you can do than what Israel did to just determine to follow God's law. But yet, while we've seen all these things, and I've tried to put a picture in your mind of what it was supposed to be like, Jerusalem was supposed to be a holy city. It was supposed to be a religious city. It should have been a place where you had holy men walking around, doing the service of the Lord, where you had holy women singing in the congregation playing beautiful music where sacrifices are being done every day and people are coming and they're worshiping the Lord. It, it, it should have been a beautiful thing. But yet, in the day of visitation that they were warned about, they were even roughly given a timeline from Daniel because understand, this restoration that's happening in the book of Nehemiah was prophesied by Jeremiah that it was going to come after their captivity. It was prophesied by Daniel that from the time of the going forth of the command to rebuild the temple to Messiah the Prince, there was going to be roughly 490 years that before when that was going to come. And so they should have known the Lord was going to be coming to check up on them. But what happened when Jesus went into the holy city in the day of visitation? In fact, what happened before Jesus went into the holy city? What happened when Jesus looked over the city? Anybody remember? Anybody remember? He, he wept over it. it. It brought him to tears. You know why? They weren't ready. And look what it says in Matthew 21.10. And when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changes and the seats of them that sold doves. And it said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So, not only are they now just not even doing anything like they're supposed to, but they're literally selling within the temple area, which was completely forbidden. They're just they're doing business in there. You know what? They were not keeping that area holy. They weren't keeping it sacred. They were not following the law of God. And it angered Jesus greatly when he saw this. And so there, there's a lot of great things that we can, we can learn from this. And it is, it, it is, it's tough. It's tough putting our minds in this mindset back in that time. You know, it's cause as Christians, we have been called unto liberty. And aren't you glad that we're not just, we don't have to be super sticklers to just different rituals and things? I mean, aren't you glad that when you walk into the auditorium, you don't have to go and like walk up to a cross or a statue first and kneel and cross yourself and all that kind of stuff? 
say, where does all that stuff come from? Again, that's the Catholics not understanding what we don't need to mess with anymore. Obviously, that's not how they did it. You know, they never did that stuff in the Bible days. But can you see the similarities? There are, there are a lot of similarities, perversions of Old Testament things that the Catholic Church is still doing. And the problem is the Catholics, like I said, they don't understand what all has been replaced and, and how it has been replaced. And that's why, uh, you know, their things are very abominable. And again, and I do, I do think the major similarities, and, and I've seen some interesting videos just showing the things that, uh, are compared to Judaism and the Catholic Church. But understand what we are seeing today from Judaism is Babylonian Talmudic Judaism. And does anybody want to know where Rome originally got all their nonsense from? Babylon. They got all that stuff. It, it all it all goes back to Babylon. It, it really does. And so that's why there's so many similarities between Catholicism and then the Babylonian Talmudic Judaism. And so all of those things are always a perversion of the, of the real thing. It's just these, these things all get perverted. So I do not believe as a church, you know, sometimes I think it would be cool to have a big, you know, elaborate religious looking place where we just had beautiful singing going on and we treated it as real holy, sacred and all that kind of stuff. You know, it would help get us in a spiritual mood. But the reality is as sanctified spirit and dwelt Christians, those things can actually be misleading because the Holy Spirit has done all the, He does all the things for us. The blood of Christ has done all the things for us that the things of the temple were just kind of a picture of, that the cleansing of the temple were just a picture of. And so I think as Christians, I don't think we should just be irreverent and just like because we don't have to do all those things, just not give a rip and just like have a free for all church service. But at the same time, I, you know, I'm glad that even though we're not that impressive looking, you know, we can still worship God from our heart. And But all of that is because of what Jesus Christ did. So there's a lot we can learn from what God wanted from Israel. These things, they were meant to help people understand the holiness of God and the holiness of the things of God. Israel never did a good job representing these things. They tried in Nehemiah. They put their best effort on. But even by Malachi, the prophets call them out. They, they did the best they could. But here's the thing. Jesus lived out every one of these things. Jesus accomplished everything that the Jews could not accomplish through the temple. Jesus accomplished all of it in his body. And that's why I wish we could just get this message out to everybody, to all religious people too, who think being born again is like this religious reformation type experience you know because there's people out there too they'll say well i'm a christian but i'm not one of those born again christians now what they mean by that because the bible says you must be born again but what they mean by that is i'm not one of these you know just super zealous you know because you do you have like your overly religious people who are always got you know talking spiritual they, they wear all their you know they're almost superstitious with their religious symbolism and all that kind of stuff but no all of these things that we do to try to impress people, um, just understand they all come short. Jesus did it all. And that's why we just need to 
profess Christ, promote Christ. He, he, he got it all done. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for the lessons we can learn from it. And Lord, I pray you help us to uh, learn from these things in the Old Testament. Let, it, let them teach us about you and your holiness and uh, what you did for us. And Lord, I pray you help us as, as Christians today to not take advantage of our liberty, but Lord, but uh, uh, be thankful for the liberty that you've given us. Help it to cause us to love you more and to do things from the heart in an even better, more pure way. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.